attitude and just have fun with the snow. We are actually uh, in a new series. We are uh, taking some time off with Luke, and we uh, did this last year where we uh, spent a few weeks talking about a particular subject and topic. We don't particularly like doing this, and that's why we don't do it very often. We like to be in the we like to be in books of the Bible and going through them kind of verse by verse. But uh, we kind of uh, wanted to take this opportunity to talk about a topic and a subject that is important, especially in our day and age. Uh, and we're going to be talking about money uh, for just two weeks here this Sunday and next Sunday. Um, and uh, so the 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 topic or the theme of this uh, series is called redeeming money. Redeeming money. And um, this is not two sermons to just appeal to you to give more to church, and if you give to church, that God will just fulfill all your wishes and dreams. That's not the, the point of this series at all. But money is a, is a part of our world. It's, very, it's a very, uh, I mean, we, people talk about money all the time, right? Uh, you work for money. Uh, you have budgets. You, if you read the newspaper, you see what the stock market's doing. And so money is a part of our world. Money is a part of our society. And uh, God obviously created this world, and it's important for us to think godly when it comes to money. And that's kind of the point of this series. Uh, the title of this sermon is A Theology of Money. A Theology of Money. So we're going to be kind of, kind of a broad uh, look, and uh, we're, we're going to be all over the Bible, uh, but we're going to start in Job, of all places. Job chapter 31. So if you have a Bible, turn to Job. Job is the book right before Psalms. So just take half your Bible, open it up in the middle, and then just go back a little bit and you'll get to Job. If you're using a phone, well, you just got to scroll wherever and find it. Uh, Job chapter 31, starting in verse 24. Let me give you the main idea before we, I read this. Um, money is a tool to glorify God and bless others, but a person's heart must be changed from self-centered to God-centered in the use of money by the gospel of Christ. Money is a tool to glorify God and bless others, but a person's heart must be changed from self-centered to God-centered in the use of money by the gospel of Christ. Job chapter 31, verse 24. If I have made gold my trust, or called fine gold my confidence, if I have rejoiced because my wealth was abundant, or because my hand had much found much, if I have looked at the sun when it shone, or the moon moving in splendor, and my heart has been secretly enticed, and my mouth has kissed my hand, this also would be an iniquity to be punished by the judges, for I would have been false to God above. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We praise you, Lord, as we enter into this uh, time of, of understanding, Lord, how we should think about money in a godly way, a way that glorifies you and blesses others, to be God-focused and not self-centered with the, with the use of money. Lord, help us, teach us, convict us. Uh, through your Holy Spirit, give us the, uh, the ability to be honest with ourselves for the sake of praising and glorifying you. Lord, we pray for those who are not with us because of the weather or because of sickness or whatever, Lord. We pray for them. We pray that you would watch over them, Lord, and, and bring them back to us safely next week. We pray that people would be safe as they drive about today, as they go to Super Bowl parties today. Lord, I pray that you would provide opportunities for Christians to talk about the gospel when they go to someone's house to watch football. 
Lord, may we, even with football, not be self-centered, but God-centered, Lord. May we think of opportunities to be around people and be opportunities to be a witness of the gospel to them. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your church. Pray that you would help us uh, to be faithful to your word and to be proclaimers of the gospel to the world. We love you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, some statistics, uh, throw at you a little bit as we start. Uh, the average, um, average American has $145,000 in debt. So the average American is $145,000 in debt. Uh, that means 80% of Americans currently are in debt right now. 80% of Americans are in debt. Now you could go, well, Matt, I mean, a lot of people own houses, and they're paying off they have a mortgage, right? The 30-year-plus mortgage, and that's why people have some debt. But there's more debt that people have than just mortgage debt, right? There's car loans, there's credit card debt, there's student loans, right? Which there's, there's I mean, there's nothing wrong with having student loans and paying off those, those loans. And so there's a lot of people in the United States that have debt. The average American has over $7,000 in credit card debt. Over $7,000 in credit card debt. 69% of Americans have less than $1,000 in their savings. 69% of, of Americans have less than $1,000. So therefore, if they had a massive, uh, we got a medical bill in the mail this week, and it was over $500. For 69% of Americans, that would destroy their finances. A $500 medical bill. 45% of Americans have zero dollars in, sa in savings. Almost a half of Americans have zero dollars in savings. 33% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. That means if they were to lose their job or, their, or, their, or they were to get their hours were to, were to be diminished significantly, they would have a hard time paying for their rent or paying their mortgage or paying their car loan or paying for food. While these numbers state the financial condition of many Americans, this is interesting, the medium income, the average, so the, the average income for Americans has actually increased faster in the last decade than the cost of living, meaning people's income is rising and their expenses to live are actually decreasing. But then why are so many people in debt? And people are actually making more money over the last 10 years, and cost of living has actually, in comparison, is actually, that, that gap has actually widened. Why are so many Americans in debt? Now, obviously, when, it when we talk about cost of living, we're talking about housing and food and clothing and utilities. So income goes up and cost of living goes down, yet household debt continues to rise. 65% of Americans said they have no idea how much they spend per month. 65% have no idea how much money they just spent last month. While three-fourths of Americans report having a budget. So 75% of Americans say or report they have a budget. But yet 69% of Americans say, I have no idea how much money I spent last month. So therefore, very few Americans actually follow a budget. 79% of Americans say they have hard, a hard time sticking to their budget. The average American spends 
$7,429 per year more than they budgeted, which is about $20 a day. Which says what? That you can, you can do financial peace with Dave Ramsey. You can come up with the most, significant, uh, the most uh, sophisticated budget, but it doesn't matter for most Americans. Budgets and apps and tools will not ultimately fix American struggle with money. They won't. I mean, there could be all kinds of different tools that are out there, and there could be really good tools. That's not going to change people's spending habits. Paul David Tripp in his book, Redeeming Money, says, I'm convinced that the reason budgets don't work for so many is that the underlying heart issue that has, got, that, that has gotten them into money troubles have not been addressed. Your budget cannot rescue you from you, but the grace of Jesus can. Budgets help. More income help, helps. However, if the money identity of a person is self-focused, then budgets and more income will only lead to more self-kingdom building. And if the heart of the person is unchanged, if the heart of the person is unchanged, regardless if they have more money, regardless if they have a better budget, their use of money is still going to be kingdom, their self-kingdom building, not building God's kingdom. What is needed is a theology of money. A theology of money. Why would anyone need a theology of money? Well, I just gave you all the statistics. Obviously, something's wrong. And for, uh, and, and for a lot of that, and within those numbers, that's a lot of Christians, a lot of God-fearing people that struggle with money. So I think it's a, a really good time to talk about a theology of money. What is theology? Theology is the study of God. Therefore, how God affects our views and use of money is the theology of money. Your use of money projects your theology. Your use of money projects your theology. It's kind of like the, the major point here that we're going to try to, try to uh, argue and, and, and show is that your use of money actually demonstrates and projects your theology. Let me explain why that, what, what I mean by that. Just look at Job chapter 31. So the point number one here, this, the first sub-point if you're taking notes, point A God did not, gold did not create you. Gold did not create you. What did Job say here? He says here in 31, If I have made gold or money my trust, or called fine gold my confidence. What do we know about Job? Job was a wealthy man. We see from Job chapter 1, we're going to flip back just a few pages, Job chapter 1, we are told uh, by the writer that, uh, Job was a blameless and upright man. He feared God. He turned away from evil. And it talks about all of his possessions. He had how, he had how many? 7,000 sheep. I'm not sure how much that equates to real money, but in that particular time and period, having large herds of animals proved you are a wealthy individual. 3,000 camels. 500 yokes of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. Even says, greatest among all the people of the East. The greatest. He was a wealthy man. 
But what else do we know about Job? He feared God. He feared God. We even see, because he feared God, and as we know from this story of Job, that he is tested. God allows Satan to test Job. And he says in verse 20, He arose to his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and worshipped God. Even when he lost all his possessions, when his children were taken away from him, he said, Naked I came into the, from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Bless the name of the Lord. How could you possibly say that when all of your wealth is lost? Because he fears God. He recognizes that his wealth, his gold, did not come from his own hand, but it came from God. God is his ultimate trust. God is his ultimate confidence. And what did Job use his money for? He actually get this piece of information, not from Job chapter 1, but Job chapter 29. When he is defending himself, when his friends are saying, you must have done something wrong. You must have sinned against God. That's why all this has happened to you. And Job is like, no, I'm blameless. I have not sinned against God. And that's why he says in 31, have I trusted in gold? Have I made gold my confidence? Have I rejoiced in my abundance? He says in chapter 29 that he actually used his money to do what? Starting in verse 12, to deliver the poor. He used his wealth to deliver the poor, to give sight or eyes to the blind, to give feet to the lame, to father the needy, to care for strangers. He sought justice with his money. And he uses that to defend him. He's like, look what I've done with my wealth. Look what I've done with my gold. I've not trusted it. I know God's the one that provided it to me. Therefore, I cared for people. I cared for those that were in need with my wealth. If he had trusted or put his confidence in money, he should have been there, he says later on in chapter 31, uh, getting in verse 28, he should be judged by God. He says, if I have made gold my confidence, if I have made gold my trust, therefore I deserve to be judged by God for the, how I've used my wealth. But again, as we know about the story of Job, this was not the reason why he was suffering. He was suffering because God allowed Satan to, 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 to do all these things to him to test Job. That was why he was suffering. He wasn't suffering because he was bad with his money. He was actually godly with his money. And the, the important thing we have to, to, to remember about Job is that he feared God. And therefore, he did not put his confidence and trust in money. And actually, he used his money to glorify God and to bless others. He had not been self-centered with his money because God, Job feared God with his wealth. Why should we fear God with our money? Why should we fear God with our money? Why should we reflect what Job did? We'll just take you back to the, take you back to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2. What did God do in, in verse 5 of chapter 2? He planted a garden for the man. He formed Adam. From the dust of the earth, he caused a garden to grow, and he provided all the that was needed for the man. Every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the man and his wife, which he ended up creating later on out of the rib of Adam, lacked nothing. They lacked nothing. There was nothing that they couldn't, were concerned about. They lacked nothing. They had no want. They had no needs. 
Interesting thing about Genesis chapter 2, what do we, a piece of information, it starts to talk about, this, it describes the area outside the garden. So uh, if you hadn't turned there already, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 2. Here's why Job doesn't trust in gold. Here's why he puts his confidence in God. Verse 10, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided became four rivers. The Pushin was the name of the first river, and it came is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedlam and Onyx stones are there. Fascinating. God creates a garden for Adam and Eve and provides all the plants, all the fruit and that they needed to eat, all the things that they needed, God provided in the garden. And he took, in the area that was outside the garden, that's where the precious minerals were. That's where the gold was. Actually, bedlam is, uh, is another word that possibly could have been pearls. Onyx stones, we, we read in Exodus 28, was actually in the high priestly's uniform and his shield. It was a precious stone. All the precious minerals, all the precious jewels, the gold wasn't in the garden. Adam and Eve didn't need money. They didn't need the possessions that we think are important. God provided all that they needed. It wasn't necessary. God did not provide gold or precious stones as a necessity for Adam and Eve to flourish in his creation. We know from Genesis chapter 1, when he told, uh, when he created uh, the man and the woman, he told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill in them to do it. These areas in chapter 10, uh, verse 10 through 14 of chapter 2 of Genesis is the areas by which God expects the man and the woman to expand into and to cultivate. That they would then use the gold, they would use the, uh, the, the precious stones to glorify God and to bless and um, subdue the earth with. To use in their cultural mandate as the kings and the queen over the created things. They were to use what was in God's creation to subdue his creation. I was talking to someone the other day on Friday about Bluetooth, which is a great invention, right? We were playing music through Bluetooth before the service started. We got, we, we've gotten so used to Bluetooth that we forgot. I, I don't, I've forgotten the time before Bluetooth, right? When you actually had to plug something into something to actually play it. Bluetooth is not, God created the elements of the world so that we could create Bluetooth. Wi-Fi is not some man-made institution or creation that we had end up creating our own elements to be able to do Wi-Fi. No, we're using what's already existing in God's creation to, to subdue our creation. God created everything, including humanity. He provided what you need. Everything that you need, he provides. He even says in Luke 12, 22 through 28, don't be anxious about what you lack, right? Look at the birds. Look at the flowers. God provides for them. Why will he not provide for you? Don't be anxious that for things that are unnecessary. Since you were not created to serve gold and, and money, God provides what you need. View money as a tool to glorify God and to bless others, as Adam and Eve were originally instructed. They didn't require gold. 
to live. It didn't require precious stones to live. It was a part of God's creation, and they were expected to use them as tools to glorify God and to bless others, to subdue his creation. Use whatever money is given to glorify God and bless the world with it. The second point is, is that money problems start with the heart. So you weren't created for money. You weren't created to serve money. You weren't created to worship money. It's not your trust. It's not your confidence. God is. Money is something that God has provided in creation to be used to glorify him and to bless others. However, money problems start with the heart. Going back to Job 31, if I had made gold my trust or confidence, rejoiced in my wealth, this would be iniquity to be, provi- to be punished, false to God above. Which implies what? It implies that humanity is prone to worship gold, to make it its trust, to make it its confidence. We are prone to rejoice in our wealth. That's why Job is saying this. It's an implication. Job is not guilty of this, but humanity has a habit or uh, tends to use gold as something to worship, to serve, to make it your trust, to make it your confidence. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, sin entered the world, right? We see this in Romans 5, 12. Money became a means of iniquity. Before, in the garden, gold, precious stones, were not used to sin. But when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, and sin entered the world, money, like other things, became used for sin as a means of iniquity to rebel against God. Interesting about Israel, Leviticus 25, 23 through 55 we see some interesting laws that God establishes in his society of the people of Israel. If you had to sell land, remember land was given not by, uh, because they bought the land, but because God gave the land to each tribe based off population. If a land had to be sold there within their laws provided a way to redeem the land for the family. A piece of land was never to be sold, and that person who bought that land owned it forever. And the reason why that is because they didn't want that God distributed the land. And he did not want the land to fall where one particular tribe owned more land than was given. That makes sense. And so there was a way for redemption of a land by a brother or by a family member to pay for it. And if they weren't able to have a brother to buy that land in the year of Jubilee, in the, year, in the seventh year, that land that someone else had bought immediately goes back in ownership to the one who sold it. If a brother fell into poverty, he was by law to be cared for by his family. And when you care for him, you were required not to take any interest. And the reason why you were not to take any interest to then ask for repayment back later is that you are to fear God with your money. 
You didn't own what you own. You don't own the land that you own. You don't own the possessions that you own. God gave it to you. He was the one that redeemed you out of Egypt. Therefore, I require you that no one to fall into poverty or to fall into want. That was a commanded law in Levitical law. No one in the Jewish community was allowed to fall into desperate poverty. Money and wealth was commanded by God to be used to glorify him and to bless others. The fear of God is the emphasis. The reason why they were called to do this is because they had to have an attitude of fear of God. To fear God and his judgment if they were to ever use money as a way of confidence or trust or to use money to put others in horrible situations. Why is this? Because he's the creator. He's the Lord. I am the Lord, he says. I am the Lord. Even in 1 Samuel, so in the, in the history of Israel, where poverty ended up happening in Israel was actually during the time before the kings, there was very little poverty in Israel, right? Because of the law, and they followed the law. But when the kingdom, when the kings and the monarchs started, we see this in 1 Samuel chapter 8, 10 through 18, there became a gaps in the haves and have-nots. Even Saul, uh, Samuel said, he said, if you have a king, just remember what they'll do. They will buy your land. They will take your sons and they will use them in war. They will tax you. Because of that, wealth was increase, increasingly concentrated in the, ha- the, the hands of the royalty and their clientele, including a handful of rich landowners who gobbled up large portions of the countryside. So that during the times of the kings in Israel, you started this growing issue of poverty because they allowed the kings and his lords and his people to buy up all the lands. For the fear of the Lord wanes with money and wealth. And then people started to put their confidence in money because they saw all the people who had money and they associated that with prosperity and that God's blessing even though at the whole time money was used to sin. Sinning with money became an issue. Their heart cherished wealth and money over God. And while Job did not sin against God with money, others did, of course. Even, even King Solomon says, not to choo- choose, don't choose gold and silver or precious rubies, but choose God's instruction. Money and the, and the hoarding of money was the ways of the foolish and the wicked. You see that Solomon says this in his Proverbs, that the righteous one does not trust in money and trust in gold and silver, but trusts in the God's instructions, fears God. Choosing great wealth, wealth or the fattened calf over the fear of the Lord is instructed in Proverbs as the way of the foolishness, the way of the wicked. We see throughout Scripture, especially in the New Testament, sinning with money and, and, and this, the, the, the lovers of money. We see Jesus says this, right, in the passages we preached a few weeks ago, that the Pharisees were lovers of money. In first, uh, Timothy 6, uh, verse 10, that uh, the love of money is the root of all evil, and some have wandered away from the faith because of love of money. 
Ananias and Sapphira. What did Ananias and Sapphira do in Acts chapter 5? They loved money so much that when they sold the property, even though they promised that they would give the property to the church, they held it back. They sinned with money. They grieved the Holy Spirit. They did not fear God with their money. Therefore, they failed to glorify God and bless others with money. For many of us, we come to believe that happiness can be bought. It cannot be bought. It cannot be bought. When we start to put our trust and confidence in money, we actually, our hearts do not fear God. And therefore, we sin with our money. Money cannot buy you satisfaction. It cannot buy you a satisfied heart. Money cannot buy a, give you a reason to get up in the morning. Money isn't meant to be your source of comfort when you are hurting or are in need of hope when you're feeling discouraged. It cannot give you life. Interesting thing about Steve Jobs. I don't know if you've seen the movie Steve Jobs or know much about Steve Jobs, but he had a horrible relationship with his daughter. Uh, Steve Jobs had a child with a, a woman that I guess he dated for one, for one point or the other, but they never got married. So he had this strange relationship with this woman who was the mother of his daughter. And he struggled to have good friendships, right? He was so uh, focused on his visions of his technologies and his computers. He was so self-centered that he struggled with a relationship with his daughter. He struggled to have a relationship with people that he built the company with. He even thought about like how he struggled. He had all these ideas and all these thoughts and all these accomplishments and all this money, and the money could not keep him alive. He ended up you know, passing away. I think he ended up having cancer or another disease like that. Money cannot keep you alive. Money cannot give you good relationships with your daughter. Money cannot give you friendships. Money can give, can give you very little. But yet, so many people put their trust and confidence in money. As Jesus says in Matthew 16, what does it gain a man if he, if he, he gains the world but yet loses his soul? What profit? What is needed is what we all need is a clean heart. We need a changed heart. Psalms 51, 1 through 10. David, in his great psalm in Psalm 51, talks about needing mercy from God. Because of his transgressions, his, royal, his moral rebellion, his iniquities, his morally, he's morally impure. His sins, he needs mercy for his sins. Why? Because he's morally unable. He's unable to be faithful to God, to be moral. He says, only you have I sinned against with my, only you have I sinned against. And for us, the only person that we've actually sinned against with our money is God. And Paul, even David says here, he was born into the world with sin. We're born in the world with this heart problem, this self-centered heart, this heart that wants to trust and put its confidence in the things of the world and not actually in the creator of the world. We have a moral problem. Money is not a money problem, it's a moral problem. And the moral problem is centered in your heart, not in your budget. Not in your lack of income. It's in your heart. What does David pray for? He prayed, pray, create me a clean heart, O God. Give me a new heart. 
And thankfully, in the, in the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ does what? It gives us a new heart. It changes our heart. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 4. is taking off the old self and putting on the new self. That Christ Jesus creates in us a new heart. That we are chosen by God before the foundations of the, of the, of the world. That we redeemed in Christ Jesus, right? By his grace, by his work on the cross, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And this is all to the praise of God. This is what God has done through his son. He has saved us. He has redeemed, redeemed us through his body. We have a new heart through Jesus, through his salvation. So therefore, since we have a new heart, since it's, we need to get, put off the new self and put on the, put on, take off the old self and put on the new self, he says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. First off, let me, let me focus on the word thief here. We think of thieves as people who choose to be robbers, right? They, they just choose to be uh, people who steal other people's money or things. In the first century, a lot of people who were thieves were doing that out of desperation. It's still a, a still sin to steal. But what it proves to show is that sin doesn't only, only affect our hearts, but it actually affects the world as well. That there is a brokenness, there is a suffering that has happened because of money. Poverty is not a just happenstance. Poverty and the lack of things, the lack of money that a lot of people have is because of the fall, because of sin. Do you know in December 2020, it was the worst year. So 2020 was the worst year for job loss since 1939. Seven million jobs were lost in 2020. In, 20, in, 29, in 2009, during the, the housing crisis, you know, that, that huge issue that happened in 2008, America, there was 5 million jobs that were lost. And we thought that was a kind of like a Great Depression moment. More jobs were lost this year than in actually 2009. That, that shows that the poverty that is, is being created even currently right now is a product of the fall. And one thing we need to remind ourselves and encourage other people during this time of struggle is that Christ entered into your suffering, right? Hebrews chapter 4, he is the great high priest. He understands the suffering that happens. What does it say in Luke 9, 58? Nowhere to lay his head. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus understood. He experienced poverty. He experienced homelessness. The Son of God, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, who died on the cross, understands the brokenness of the world. He experienced it. So we think about even poverty when we're encouraging people through this, these times of lack of money or lack of things, to realize that the Savior, their Savior, is one who you can trust. And His love is faithful for you, and there's wisdom in Christ during that time. But to go back to this passage, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let them labor. Is Paul saying that if there's a thief, it'd be better, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be great if that thief no longer steals, but to work, 
but then to work for themselves, to use all their money for themselves, to build their 401k for themselves, to buy that second home on the beach for themselves, to become a thief, to then be a laborer is not what Paul is ultimately saying. Is that, is that good and godly if people become from, go from robbers to people who, look, who work honest labor, but yet you still use their money for their self-centered needs or self-centered ways, to use their new money for iniquity? Paul continues, in order that they may, he may share with the one who has need. You're a new person in Christ. Therefore, you've been given a new heart. So now work... Earn an honest living, but in order that you may share with the ones who has need, to benefit those in need. So don't fail in the extremes here. Don't go, oh, oh, so the Bible's telling me I should give everything that I make to the poor. No, that's not what the Bible's telling you to do. It's also not telling you to just go off and don't work. Don't fall to the two extremes. And it says, it says, work, make a honest living, and give to those in need. We see this in the, the book of Acts. We see this in Romans. That when people were in need, people, the believers, the church, gave to those in need and provided. We need a heart change, and that heart change is only in Christ. And when we have been redeemed by Christ, when we have been given this new heart, we have taken off the old self and put on the new, we're commanded to labor for the sake of sharing with others. So there is a, an emphasis here that we're not trusting in money, we're not putting our confidence in money, that we're to fear God with our money, and since we are now redeemed by Christ, we are now new people in Christ, we have a new heart that is in Christ, that means continue to work, continue to make money, but they do what? Share with those in need. So you need a money identity that is God-centered. This is the last point. You need a money identity that is God-centered. Matthew chapter, chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We need a money identity. And we, sit, we see this identity in this prayer. Our Father in heaven. Fear of God is the identity that you have to have. If you want to be godly, if you want to be faithful with your money. God is good. In Christ, you are a child of God. We have his presence. We have his wisdom. We have his love. We have his peace. We have his providence. He will provide for us as he provided Adam and Eve in the garden. That should be our identity, that we have a great father who loves us and will care for us and will provide for us. We never have to be in fear when it comes to money. We're not putting trust and confidence in money. We also need a money purpose. Hallowed be your name. God's name would be glorified with your money. That with your money, God would be glorified. Is he glorified with your money? That's a question you have to ask yourself. He is your father. 
he is your father because of what Christ did on the cross, but are you glorifying his name with your money? That is the purpose. As we go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, right? They were created and put in the garden and then told to do what? To subdue the earth. That was their purpose, to glorify God. The third thing is a money commitment. Your kingdom come, your will be done. My commitment, my prayer, my budget is that your kingdom come, your will be done with my money. Because why? Because I am a child of God. I fear the Lord. I worship him. I was created to glorify him. Therefore, I'm committed to using my money to bring his kingdom and his will into the world. And Jesus even says, since he is our father, he is our good father in heaven, who has all authority on earth, we can pray for what? That he would provide our needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Satisfy our needs. Remember in Genesis chapter 2, gold and preciousness and wealth of money is not something they needed. God provided what they needed. Those things will not satisfy your needs. It wasn't originally there to satisfy your needs. It's only there to do what? To glorify God and to bless others. Your trust and your confidence should be in God. And therefore, you should have a money identity, a money purpose, and a money commitment that recognizes that God is creator, that he is Lord, and that he created you to glorify and bless him, and that you will use your money and your, and your, and your wealth to uh, bring his kingdom come, his will be done. So I'm going to end with this. I'm going to ask this question to you. I thought this question was very helpful, and I was thinking about it as well. Why is it easier to make a purchase for ourselves than to give the same amount of money to someone in need? Why is it so easy to make a purchase for ourselves than to give the same amount of money to someone in need? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? You're like, ah, you know, I don't know this week. I don't know if I can help this person. I don't know if I can give this week to church. I don't know. But it's so easy to push by on Amazon, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, you can even talk to your Echo and say, buy. Boom. Shipping coming. I do it all the time. I'm guilty of this as well. The issue is, is because we have a heart issue. And it can only be solved with the gospel of Christ. The gospel changes our identity. It changes our purpose. It changes our commitment with money. And I think the issue is, is that we are saved by Christ, like our hearts have been changed, but sometimes we're indifferent to other Christians in our lives. We just don't know people well. There's some people in this church, I'm not going to mention any names, that struggle to go to any type of small group or Bible study in this church. You know what, you know what happens? Those people do not know people. They don't know people. And so therefore they're indifferent a lot of times to the needs of other people in their church, in their lives. And therefore, what are they doing with their money? They're self-centered with their money. Why? Because they don't know people. It's easy to buy something for themselves when they don't know anyone to love and to care. I was talking to Char uh, Charity uh, Hargett recently about hospitality. We all need friends. What's the best way to make friendships? Invite people over to spend time with you. What usually is the cost? It may, you may have to buy food. 
You may have to buy something to, to provide in this sense of hospitality. Is that why you're not hospitable? Is because you don't want to spend any money? You don't want to care for other people? Again, why is it so easy to spend money on yourself, but it's so difficult to care for those in need? And you may go, well, that person doesn't need any money. Well, they may need your friendship. They may need your love. And that does come to cost. Use your money to love people and care for people. Glorify God and bless others with your money. Why? Because God created you. He saved you. He is your father. Our confidence is not in our money. Our confidence is, our trust is not in our, our trust is in our father in heaven. He will provide for your needs. He has given you a new heart in Christ. Therefore, labor so that you may give to those who are in need. Material needs, but also gospel needs. Like, we can think about poverty, and we can think about money, and go, well, we're only going to help people that need money. But, you know, the, the, main, the main area that we love people is through the gospel, discipling people. And that sometimes does come at a cost. It costs money to go. Sometimes it costs money to make disciples. It takes a money investment. And the whole attitude is self-denial. Self-denial. The, the verse Take up your cross and follow me. It comes at a self-denial. It comes at a cost. There's a heart change that has to happen to be faithful to that passage with your money, which is what? It's not mine. It's God's. I'm going to fear God. I'm not going to trust in money for what I need. I'm not going to trust money for my confidence. I'm going to trust Christ, and I'm going to take up my cross and follow him, even when he asks me to do things that are difficult with my money. I'm going to love people. I'm going to care for people. I'm going to invest in the gospel. I'm going to invest in making disciples. I'm going to invest in going. I'm going to give money to my church because we are going as a people to reach the nations with the gospel, with our community with the gospel. So from all this, if you just want some quick things to remember. God created you. He is your father. You were created to glorify him and to bless others. And therefore, make his kingdom come with your money. Fulfill his will with your money. That's a theology of money for you. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity just to spend time in your word, to kind of go from Genesis to, to Ephesians, Lord, just looking at the importance of, of a, a proper view of money and how to use money properly, Lord. For the, the main issue is that we need heart changes. We need gospel changes, Lord. We need... Uh, uh, hearts that need to be changed, transformed by your good news, by your gospel, Lord. And for many of us, we are Christians, but yet struggle with money. We continue to make money our confidence and our trust. Lord, we are your children. We are the ones that you have saved.